0: Hello, crime and nature fans. This is your host, Julie Bryant, the creator of Crimes Against Nature. And this is an exciting day because this is our first full episode. If this is your first time to visit Crimes Against Nature, I would encourage you to go back and listen to the trailer as well as to our bonus preview that will tell you a bit about what we're trying to accomplish with Crimes Against Nature. And know that this is a completely self-supported podcast by me. And at the end of this podcast, if you would give us a five-star rating and share it with your friends, that would go a long way toward helping us to continue with the podcast for months and we hope in even years to come. As we work to tell the stories of crimes against animals and those who solve them and others who work to stop them. So let's begin with our first story about Cash, the Dallas Mounted Police Horse.
1: Can you check Cash? And I looked down and he was profusely bleeding on the ground.
0: On May 30th, 2020, just five days after the tragic death of George Floyd, a black man who died while in the custody of Minneapolis police officers, a Black Lives Matters protest was held in downtown Dallas. As is common with the Dallas Police Department, officers were made available to not only ensure the safety of the anticipated 500 protesters, but to also monitor any criminal activity the Mounted Police Division of the Dallas Police Department was placed on standby, should issues escalate. Organizers of the protest said it would be a peaceful protest, but as the late hours turned into the early morning, the Dallas Mounted Police Division was asked to move forward as the crowd grew more agitated. They had worked protests before, as dignitaries and others had come into the city of Dallas, but this night, this night, They would experience something they had never experienced before.
1: My name is Victor Renteria, or Renteria. Uh, I am the sergeant for the Dallas Police Mounted Unit, and I've been here in the department for 16 years.
0: Sergeant Renteria and I had exchanged a number of emails and texts prior to my arrival at the Dallas Mounted Police Division located on the State Fair of Texas grounds. i had had to send my questions in advance for approval by his lieutenant, and I had the approved questions in my hands. But still, I was hesitant. I didn't know how stiff-lipped they would be or how unfruitful this particular interview might become. But I was pleasantly surprised when I was invited into Sergeant Renteria's office. Walking in, I immediately noticed the pictures of his two daughters, along with diplomas from two separate universities and an army commendation medal. Sergeant Renteria looks to be in his mid to late 30s, is physically fit, and seems to be a very in control type of person. Although he was raised in Mexico, his mother being from California made him an American citizen. So he came to the United States as a teenager and joined the army. And after that hitch, he decided to become a police officer. He's dressed fairly casually with a Dallas PD polo shirt and ball cap. And as he welcomes me into his office, he gestures to a man sitting in a chair. A man that up until then, I wasn't sure I was going to get to meet.
2: I'm Senior Corporal Ron Cunningham. I've been with the Dallas Police Department for 31 years. I've been assigned to the mounted unit for 11 years.
0: Officer Cunningham is too dressed casually with the same ball cap. And I soon learned that they had postponed going on patrol just so they could do this interview, which I thought was a nice gesture. Officer Cunningham had been a part of the narcotics division for the Dallas Police Department before joining Mounted Division. He had been looking for something that would be more outdoors and would get him closer to the citizens. He's older than Sergeant Renteria and has the look of a person that's had a lot of experience. But most importantly for me, he was the officer on Cassius' back. The night that the attack happened. As is typical of most mounted divisions across the country, officers usually do not have any horseback riding experience. It's their experience as police officers that comes first. Horseback riding comes second, and that is taken care of in training, as Officer Cunningham explains.
2: All the positions here you have to interview for, you apply for it, you interview for it, you go through a six week school, you pass that, you go through a field training process once you pass that, you're a full-fledged mounted officer.
0: The recruitment of horses is similar. All of them have to be at least 16 hands tall, of a dark color, and preferably a draft horse or a draft horse cross. They don't have to have had any experience with crowds or horse shows, and some of them have never even been ridden before, as was the case with cash.
2: So if we go out to look at a horse, probably first thing we'll do is look at confirmation. Uh, Like I said, you've got to make sure they're a minimum of 16 hands, a gilding. We want them from 5 to 10 years old. We see if they've been handled, uh, how they react to stresses, like the popping of a whip or a flag, something like that. We kind of get an idea of what their demeanor will be like, because we do need them to be calm. A lot of the horses we get don't make the program, so we will. Uh, send them back to the owner or sell them, you know, as long as we find a good home for them. But not all horses make it. I wasn't part of the uh, selection of cash, but I I believe he came around from around the Austin area. So I think when we got him, he was was well broken, but I don't know that he'd been ridden before. So he tolerated it, but he didn't understand the cues. So we kind of had to teach him how to be ridden. And... He, he did a good job. We had to work through a few issues, like with all horses. I'd say six months, he became a pretty solid police horse. And that timeline can vary. Some catch on real quick, depending on their training beforehand or just their temperament in general. And then, like I said, some just don't make the program. But he was a quick turnaround.
0: Sergeant Renteria went on to describe training that those familiar with the horse industry would see if someone was competing in the Extreme Mustang makeover cowboy-mounted shooting, or even just a great trail course. But they also get their training as they are on duty when they go working downtown.
1: One of our best training rounds right now will be uh, the nightclubs, right? You have sirens, you have music, you have bass, you have cars buzzing by, you have 18-wheelers shaking the ground. Um, All that kind of stuff helps the rider and the horse build a bond and overcome a lot of these stressors.
0: So with that background and training, going out for the night of May the 30th, 2020, it was simply routine. It was a protest, something they had worked before, and they were prepared for that. According to Sergeant Renteria, those who were on the Mountain Division are among the best officers in the Dallas Police Department. They're hand-selected by him, and being a part of the Dallas Mountain Division, he believes, is the most prestigious job that you can have. So, Arriving on the scene at around 8.30, they were placed on standby, again, should things escalate. Horses and riders are equipped with what they call riot gear in this situation. Horses have a face shield that cover approximately half their face, but they don't have any chest protection and minimal leg protection, something that Sergeant Renteria hopes will improve in the future. Officers are equipped with a bulletproof vest and a helmet that includes a face shield, for this night, they also carried a gas mask, and they did carry first aid equipment, not only for themselves, but for their horses as well. As the night wore on and protesters became more agitated, the Mounted Division was ordered to move forward. You can go to crimesagainstnaturepodcast.com and click on this story, or you can see footage from the Dallas Morning News depicting the Mounted Division moving forward into the crowd. By this time, the Dallas Police Department was deploying flashbangs in an effort to disperse the crowd, but they were growing even more unruly.
2: Uh, we were monitoring the radio, so we knew that the uh, aggression was really ramping up. We knew they were throwing things. We knew less lethal options were being used by the police officers. So we knew that it was going to be a pretty volatile situation that we were
0: going into. As the Mounted Division moved forward, the crowd began to shout obscenities and make other remarks, perhaps in an effort to incite the officers. But the officers just kept their eyes forward as they advanced through the crowd, pushing, hoping to get the crowd to disperse and move back. It was a tactic that police departments often use and it usually worked, but this night it just didn't seem to be making a difference.
1: When we got there, we just posted up hoping that, they, you know, the, the, the same thing that he was telling you earlier, that normally they see the horses and they start coming out. This group did just the opposite. The longer time went, the more aggressive with the verbal abuse. We just wanted to move and just get him out of that that, that that aggressive behavior and give them something else to think about. Normally that's, that's the idea. We don't, we, there was no other plan other than just to get him out, out of becoming physically aggressive.
0: In the midst of the shouting, the obscenities, water bottles and rocks being thrown, flashbangs, the mounted unit continued to move forward, as did other officers on foot. Soon, the mounted division found themselves on what was basically an island, a traffic island, trapped between two of the protest groups, one smaller, one larger. From the corner of his eye, Sergeant Renteria saw a young man, an Hispanic male, probably between the ages of 18 and 25, wearing a red ball cap. He had a rock in his hand, and before Sergeant Renteria could even react or call out, the young man took a baseball stance, like a pitcher, and he let the rock fly. As I mentioned at the top of the podcast, we're a completely self-supported podcast, and even though we don't have any sponsors right now, I do want to take a break to tell you about another self-supporting company called Bobby T's Jerky. Bobby T's Jerky is owned by my good friend Bob Tallman, a pro rodeo Hall of Famer and an 11-time PRCA Rodeo announcer of the year. Bob is also a Texas rancher, and he's proud of Texas beef. His jerky is made completely from Texas beef and made in Texas, and it's a go Texan product. So you can count on great beef jerky when you buy Bobby T's. All you need to do is go to bobbytsjerky.com and enter code NATURE to receive 20% off your purchase. Now back to our story. Sergeant Renteria saw the rock and could see that it was headed toward the group, among the other things that were being thrown. But he had no idea where it was going to land. Officer Cunningham, though, realized it when Cash suddenly flinched and jerked his head.
1: The, ball, the rock just came straight for Cash's face, and that's when it struck him right here on the cheek. He felt that I just saw the kid uh, throw the rock and I didn't realize that he had struck Cash. I just, he tells me, Can you check Cash? And I looked down and he was profusely bleeding on the ground. So I'm like, Oh Jesus.
0: While Officer Cunningham was responding to the number of projectiles being thrown their way, he didn't realize that either him or Cash had become a target.
2: We saw a lot of rocks coming towards us. So we, we knew we were under attack and I saw him jerk his head up and I knew he'd either been hit or wanted to come really close. I was able to ask Victor if Cash looked okay. I said, I think he's been hit in the face. And when he looked up at his face, he could just see the profuse bleeding. There was blood just running out of his mouth, splattering on the ground. So at that point, we pulled him back. I got off of him and we carried, uh, a horse first aid kit with us in our saddlebags. So patrol officers helped us with uh, rinsing him off. He was just, like I said, blood was running out of his face. It was dripping off my fingers and down my arm. He was bleeding so bad. But uh, we got a uh, bandage dressing on him, got it washed out, and uh, bleeding slowed down. It looked more like a puncture wound. It was a big rock, about baseball size. So... It, he was hit with a pretty good-sized rock.
0: In the chaos of the night, the protester who had thrown the rock had fled, thinking he'd gotten away. But he didn't count on one thing. Even though there were officers on patrol, on foot, and even on horseback, he didn't think about the officers in the sky.
1: Air 1 was already on him, too. So they just kept tracking him tracking him. So wherever he, he, he tried to get away, because they usually run back into the crowd, and, and then, then I can't keep tracking him anymore. So everyone kept track of him, and they finally caught him, uh, I would say a block and a half, two blocks, uh, trying to get away.
0: As the peaceful protest turned into violence, Dallas Police Chief Renee Hall had finally had enough, as she told Channel 8 WFAA in Dallas. We are dispersing the crowd as long as these individuals are... uh,
2: peaceful, we will allow them to stay out here, but we will not be the target um, of, of violence. And so um, we support peaceful protests, but we will not allow the scout cars, uh, our officers to be hurt, property to be,
0: to be damaged. Um, that's not what we're doing here tonight. Once Cash was treated for his injuries and the bleeding had stopped, he and Officer Cunningham continued with their duties. There were only four horses with the Mounted Division that night. Too few, they say, for the conditions they were facing. By 4 or 4.30 in the morning, they had wrapped up their work and were headed back to the stables. Finally, in the light of day, they could see how serious Cassius' injuries might be.
2: Yeah, you just you just hate to see a innocent animal hurt like that. And Cassius, such a teddy bear, he's a big baby, that somebody would hurt him. You know, it's pretty frustrating. By the next day, he looked a lot better than we thought he would look. He was really ready to go. in a scab, a little bit of swelling, but uh, he was able to go back to work.
0: In our current world environment, it's easy for the police to go from being heroes to outright villains overnight. And the horses have been no exception. In Austin, protesters attacked mounted officers and their horses in two separate incidents. One was hit by a sign, the other by a skateboard. Both of those protesters were arrested. And in perhaps the most violent demonstration of aggression by protesters, mounted officers were attacked by thrown bicycles in Manchester, England. An officer was thrown from her horse and suffered a severe head injury while the horse itself ran back to the stables. The fallout for Black Lives Matter protests around the world remains to be seen, but as calls for the defunding of police departments gained traction, some cities are looking at mounted divisions as one of the first places to cut the budget. The city of Baltimore, whose mounted division is the oldest in the nation, has already decided to cut the division from its budget, even after spending $2.5 million on a new stable. In a Bloomberg CityLab article, it was noted that in October 2019, police in Galveston, Texas, drew outrage for evoking images of slavery after photos emerged of two mounted officers leading a handcuffed Black man who was on foot by what appeared to be a rope through the streets. They've also become liabilities for injuring people. And in instances in which they were deployed during riots and protests, their intimidating presence, critics say, can escalate tensions and lead to more violence. But Sergeant Renteria and Officer Cunningham say cutting mounted divisions in any city can be a mistake, since those units often do more toward building community relations than any other police divisions.
2: They send us to the high crime areas, and we do crime work, and we also do uh, public relations. So we're very friendly to the people that come up. We let people pet the horses. People ask us questions. And a lot of times people, because they see that we're so accessible, they will give us information that other officers don't give. When they see a guy drive through in a squad car, a lot of times the windows are up. He's just not very approachable. But we ride through, we wave, we smile. We're easy access sitting on a horse. Kids will follow us through the apartment complexes, you know, running along beside us and behind us. So we're very approachable. A lot
3: of, a lot of these people, when you go to these neighborhoods, uh, and, and he's right, they're well-received everywhere. Uh, low income, high income, medium income. Everybody loves these animals. They're enamored with them. Uh, but what I've noticed in these neighborhoods where uh, not so much with the burglaries, but with the violent crimes, oftentimes people are afraid to come out and talk to the police. Having kids run up to the horses and then the parents follow behind them gives them an excuse to be there. And if they're there long enough and they start feeling comfortable, they start spilling out a lot of information. But that's only because the horses give them that that reason to be there. They don't want to be seen talking to a police officer. The The, the, the horse erases almost the officer and it makes it a positive conversation. With a human being. So now you're having really positive conversations and with people that don't necessarily uh, like you or respect you.
4: It didn't take long though for the Mounted Division to learn the public did care about cash. In less than 24 hours, the phone began to ring. People called not only wanting to know if cash was okay, but if an arrest had been made, which there had. I have made an open records request to learn more about the status of the case, which I will post to the website once I receive the information. But I can tell you, the individual arrested that night was charged and jailed for interference with a police service animal and injury to a police service animal. In the meantime, social media filled with outrage about the act and the public began sending care packages to the Mounted Division offices.
2: Uh, It was nice. One thing, I just felt really bad for cash. But it also was kind of a reminder that not everybody's against us. And at times it does feel that way right now. It kind of feels like everybody's against us. So when you have these people coming forward, sending treats, uh, a child set up a lemonade stand and saved up money from the sales of a lemonade stand and sent a jolly ball for him. They've gotten mints. They've gotten treats. So, it, it's a good feeling to know that people care about you and the horse, and not everybody's against you.
3: It, it's a lot of support coming from everywhere. Uh, everywhere. Yeah, um, it's very nice. People calling from all over the country. It's amazing. That same night, there was a young officer. Uh, she, uh, she was injured also. Not a single word was stated about her. Nobody. It's not that they didn't care. It's just, you know what I mean? But... The same incident happened with cash and you got people calling from new york california uh, you name it.
4: following our interview sergeant renzeria took me to meet cash while officer cunningham changed into his uniform cash was quietly standing between two cross ties and he is a big boy and like officer cunningham said a big teddy bear he licks my flattened palm looking for a treat and snuffles at me gently when Officer Cunningham joins us, he points out the area of Cass's injury, just at the point of his cheekbone, and sure enough, it's a small puncture wound with some slight discoloration, completely healed, but one that will leave a tiny scar. You can see a picture of it on the Crimes Against Nature podcast.com website. I ask if I can follow them out on patrol. Both policemen hesitate for a moment, then say yes. Apparently, they're headed to patrol a pretty tough neighborhood. I follow the bark truck and trailer in my car, and we go to an intersection about 15 minutes away from the state fairground. There had been some shootings a few months earlier, and they were back to make sure things were okay. It
2: seemed like three people got shot, and none of them were even involved. These were just bystanders that got hit by it. They shot up all of the businesses. They uh, had plywood on the business forever. And then they moved us up further north to the next big intersection. It's actually worse than here. And we worked it for a good while, but for whatever reason they've sent us back down to this one again. Things have gotten a lot worse since we've been having to concentrate on protests.
4: I hop back in my car after Officer Cunningham and his partner, Senior Corporal Valencia, are mounted. They will be the only two mounted officers on patrol in the city of Dallas today. I follow them to a small shopping center which is entirely populated by African Americans, some getting gas, some shopping, and some simply loitering. Officer Cunningham invites a little girl to pet Cash, and her mother pops out her cell phone for pictures. A few minutes later, both officers cross the busy street and head over to an apartment complex and begin to walk through the streets there. Cash does his job again. One mother heads over to pet his soft nose, followed shortly by another mom, and then their kids appear. Watching this scene play out, I wonder what those children will remember about this interaction the next time they see a police officer. But I can say for sure that when it comes to a black Percheron named Cash, this is another black life that mattered. I want to thank you for listening to the first full episode of Crimes Against Nature. If you'd like to learn more about the Dallas Mountain Police Division, visit dallaspolice.net. If you'd like to offer your support of the Dallas Mounted Police Division, you can go to our website, crimesagainstnaturepodcast.com, for the address and email. Hopefully you enjoyed today's show, and if you did, I would appreciate your five-star rating on Apple Podcast, Spotify, or wherever you might be listening. I would also appreciate your sharing Crimes Against Nature with your friends. Be sure and subscribe to Crimes Against Nature on Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. We hope to have an episode out every Wednesday, and with your subscription, you'll be updated every time a new episode is available. Next time on Crimes Against Nature... He was probably the most famous racehorse who ever win the Triple Crown, as Aladar always played the bridesmaid to 1978 Triple Crown winner affirmed. But in the breeding shed, Aladar was a star, earning millions each year for Calumet Farms. He died in 1990 from what most thought was a terrible accident, until they learned his owner was in debt for millions of dollars.
1: We all were under the assumption that, that this was just an accident and
2: unfortunate, but there was nothing nefarious about the whole thing.
4: Crimes Against Nature is produced and edited by me, Julie Bryant. Music by Motion Array. All rights reserved by Ladigo Media, LLC. If you'd like to learn more about Crimes Against Nature, go to crimesagainstnaturepodcast.com where you can leave your tips and your comments. Thanks for listening.